Hi there, and welcome to our podcast, Art City Amsterdam. From Rembrandt to Dumas and from Leijsen to McQueen, Amsterdam has long been home to some of the world's most important artists. In our podcast, we will provide you a taste of art in this remarkable city. Together with our special guests, we will take you on a walk through the art scene of Amsterdam. We, your hosts, Rubia Balsam and Joost Bosland, speak to artists, curators, politicians and collectors about what they love about the city. Whether you're a longtime resident or planning your first visit, this podcast will inspire you to explore new and familiar corners of the Amsterdam art world. We are sitting here today with Nina Volkersma and we're absolutely thrilled to have a spider in the web of the Amsterdam art world here with us. Right now she's the director of Amsterdam Art and organizes Amsterdam Art Week, but she's also a curator at heart. I've seen some fantastic projects. That's really how I've gotten to know Nina over the years. And I think that really colors her, the way she approaches her current role. So we're very excited to be speaking to her. It also helps that she knows literally everybody in the Amsterdam art world. So it's a great guest for us to connect us to other people and, and show us sides to the story that we might not be familiar with. Nina has a particular interest in feminist aesthetics and surrealist legacies and contemporary practices. Distinctive features of her practice are her interests in performance, film, dance, and theater, and her expertise in commissioning site-specific projects. Nina, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me as your first guest. I'm honored. Uh, the first exhibition I saw when I moved to the Netherlands in July last year was your magnificent The Tears of Eros at the Centraal Museum in Utrecht. The Tears of Eros, Moesman, Surrealism and the Sexes. Just to get a basic thing out of the way first, who was Johannes Moesman? I had never heard of him. He is an artist from Utrecht and he's the only officially acknowledged Dutch surrealist. And we say this because André Breton wrote a letter to Johannes Moesman. So that's why he is acknowledged as the only official surrealist in the Netherlands. And the, the Centraal Museum has one of the biggest collections of his work. He has a small oeuvre of about 30 paintings. He was uh, also working for the Dutch Railway and he was painting his works in his free time. And can you explain a little bit more about the exhibition? What was it about? Well, we took Moesman and his work as the starting point and he was, like many of the other surrealists that we know, he was obsessed with women and with sex. And this is what you see also in the paintings of Dali and Magritte. When I was kind of looking into making a connection with the international context, I realized, but where are these women that they are so obsessed with? Because it's known that the surrealist movement was actually very open to female artists. But as an art historian, I never read about their work. So I, we did a lot of research into these female surrealists like Leonora Carrington, Dorothea Tenning, well, many, many more. So the idea of the exhibition was to place Johannes Moesman in connection to his international contemporaries, but have a large part of the exhibition focus on these women artists. And then I also added contemporary artists because the topics that they dealt with gender, sexuality, and also the more kind of extreme parts of it, like their interest in Marquis de Sade, was something that kind of resonates within contemporary art. So we wanted to make this connection and we invited artists like Viviana Sassen and Paul Koiker and Sanam Katibi. 
I, I remember the last room, which maybe was a separate exhibition, I'm not sure, which was an immersive video installation by John Raffman. Yeah. Was that something you were involved with commissioning as well? Sort of. The exhibition took place in what's called the stables of the museum, which is like one very kind of four long spaces after each other. So there's like a one-way route. And at the very end, there's one space that is always reserved as a kind of annex to the exhibition. And this is curated by both Bart Rutte, the director, and Lauri Kluitmans, the curator of contemporary art. And it's always a reflection on the large exhibition in the stables. So this time I was, of course, in, invited to think along, but it was Bart Rutte who suggested to invite John Raffman, because in his eyes, as he called him, he's a surrealist 2.1 or 2.0. So John Raffman came to Utrecht and he saw the works of Moosman and there was kind of an instant connection. And he was so kind of fascinated by this weird world of Moosman that he um, he has a work called the Dream Journal where he writes down his dreams every day and then he sends them off to a company in China and they make this animated films out of it. So he said, I'm going to incorporate my Moosman dreams and fantasies in the next chapters of the Dream Journal. And, and this was only added after a couple of weeks. But So there was a direct relationship between the exhibition and John Raffman's new work. I, I didn't actually yeah. know that's how he makes his films. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's another reason. I mentioned some of the reasons we're very excited to sit here with you today. But another reason is your directorship of Amsterdam Art, mm -hmm. which is a foundation that organizes Amsterdam Art Week. And not only was the Tears of Eros probably my favorite exhibition of 2020, Amsterdam Art Week is the most important initiative, in my personal view, taking place in the city. And, and in fact, you know, it was in part inspiration for this podcast as well. So could you describe your range of responsibilities as the new director? Wow. <laughs> well, as a director, I'm responsible both for finances, for partnerships, for a program, for communication, everything. So I'm, I'm kind of the, the head of the team. But we have a very small team and a very enthusiastic team. And uh, most of them are new to the organization as well. So in a way, we're kind of all inventing it anew. And I like that it is a, a very horizontal organization. So on the one hand, I'm the director, but it's, it's really kind of equal within the organization. I think before, when I looked at Amsterdam Art and the director, because I saw the vacancy for the previous director as well, and then I was not interested in the job because I thought maybe it's just like promoting the galleries and I'm really, as you said, at heart, I'm a curator, and that's what I love doing. But then this time when the uh, vacancy came by, I thought, actually, this is like the best thing because you can curate all these institutions. And I think the model of uh, Art Week or Gallery Week is such an interesting model and maybe an interesting model for the future as well because of its connection to the city. And we know now that maybe we will go back to the old situation where everybody kind of jumps on the plane, travels everywhere. We go to Venice more easily than we go to Rotterdam. But maybe it will, some things will change. And I would love to contribute to this. So being very local, really kind of 
connected in the city, but still making visible that Amsterdam and that artists here and the institutions here are very international, that there is so much international potential here and kind of push it forward. And also for those listeners who don't know Amsterdam Art, how would you describe Amsterdam Art Week? It's a week where the city is buzzing with uh, the best exhibitions, both in the galleries and the museums. And of course, the, the two important residencies that we have here in Amsterdam, the Rijksakademie and the Ateliers. This year, actually, we're adding more uh, what we call alternative residencies to the program because there are many more interesting artists in residence places here in Amsterdam, like the Tame Miniele Foundation, which has been here for 25 or 30 years. They just celebrated their anniversary. So they have a place for artists from the African continent or the African diaspora. And they've had amazing artists here, like Zanele Moholy, uh, Neo Madlogo, I think was also one of the... There's an artist-in-residence place in the southeast of Amsterdam, which is also already there for 25 or 30 years, which is a connection between the, an institution called CBK Zuidoost and the Stedelijk Museum. And, and there's new, new kind of alternative residencies popping up. Okay, but I'm drifting away. The Amsterdam Art Week is like a week full of exhibitions, performances, artist talks, studio visits, dinners, brunches, meetings, and seeing the best of what all the institutions have to offer on contemporary art. So for those listeners who would like to know about more about the program, we also have a website for the podcast there. You can find a link towards Amsterdam Art I would say. And everything else we mentioned today. So one, one of the things I'm really looking forward to this year is the open studios at the Rijks Academy. I had the privilege of visiting in 2019 and it's so much more interesting than most art fairs. You're walking around, there's artists from all over the world and, and it's hard to put into words, but for somebody who has not been before, could you describe what that experience is like? I think the big difference between the open studios of the Rijks Academy and an art fair is that it's curated by the artists themselves. And there's not this kind of pressure of a gallery having to sell the work. So it's really going to the core, to what artists make. And they have been able to spend two years in their studios, kind of underground, invisible. You never see them or you don't recognize them when you are in the city and then suddenly they open up their studios and there are these amazing works, kind of really museum quality installations that they present. So that is really amazing. Artists from all over the globe that have spent their time there. And then what is really nice is that it's also, it has the feeling of a fair because you meet everybody that kind of are nice people in the art world, in the Amsterdam art scene, but also international visitors coming in. So it's a great way to connect with people and at the same time see, really be kind of the first eyes in seeing new works that you know that these artists will be kind of taken up by the galleries, the Amsterdam galleries, and you will see them develop. And while the alumni of the Rijks Academy are... Well, famous are everywhere. So in 2025, we will celebrate the 750th birthday anniversary of Amsterdam. 
what is your ambition for the future for the Amsterdam art scene and also in that regard the role of Amsterdam art? For me, the Amsterdam 750 anniversary is really like a, a point in the future that I kind of direct all the ambitions towards. And the ambitions, I think one of the starting or major exhibitions of Amsterdam art is to kind of stress the coherence of the Amsterdam art scene and to see it as an ecosystem. The galleries need the museums and the museums need the galleries and the project spaces and the residencies and the artists. So I would really like to stress the interdependency of all these institutions and connections instead of having a competitive atmosphere. So I would like to really make it a joint effort. And if we could kind of jointly work towards this point in the future in five years together, that would be kind of a big accomplishment. And the ideal situation would be that we also kind of program maybe our own event. I know that the city is having two kind of major projects for the 750th anniversary, which is the Manifesta, a special edition of Manifesta in Amsterdam. They've also asked Hedwig Feyen to devise a plan for this anniversary. And the other one is the sail, the big kind of the, the big ships coming into Amsterdam. I would really love for Amsterdam Art to have a seat at the table, uh, maybe together in joint coalition with Manifesta, to think of a way to really bring to the fore the strength and the international character of the Amsterdam art, contemporary art scene. I get so excited when I hear you speak about this, and, and I think it's in incredibly good hands. At the same time, you've got an uphill battle coming, I think. It's not going to be easy, um, but it's possible. It's possible, and it's, I think it's a very inspiring vision. And I also think it really taps into our future if you look at the cultural ecosystem in total, because that's my expertise. I'm yeah. an architect of it. I think you're really on the right track on yeah. that matter, definitely. One of the ambitions also for Amsterdam Art is to kind of look at the discussion that is kind of very relevant and topical now, is the discussion about how inclusive are we as a society, but also as an organization. And the organization of Amsterdam Art and the board has been, like a lot of art institutions, rather white and male-oriented. So we're now trying to open this up and I'm inviting a lot of kind of experts on the topic, both experts as in the sense that they have written about the topic or experts in the sense that they are people of color or they have another a different background to inform me how we can make the organization and the program and actually the whole DNA of the organization more inclusive, more diverse. We haven't formalized it yet, but this is something that I'm kind of working towards, starting from the organization. So our own team has already become a little bit more inclusive and diverse than before. The board is also making steps towards this. In our partnerships, we want to also follow up on this. But then the next step, of course, is the field. And I see that museums like the Amsterdam Museum, the Stedelijk Museum, project spaces like Frame of Framed, the Apple, CBK Zuidoost, 
they're really making big steps now in kind of implementing this in in every sense but i see that the galleries are kind of kind of staying behind a bit the galleries are mostly white gallerists their programs may be diverse or international or colored or but the gallerists themselves and the whole notion of what a gallery is as a white cube space selling art is still i feel maybe a bit old fashioned and could move towards a more inclusive idea and i see some kind of small initiatives popping up kind of new galleries that try to see if there's a different way of opening up a gallery or defining what a gallery is and trying to get new audiences in because there is a very large group of people that are interested in art that are interested in buying art people of color people of different educational levels or a more diverse group than the white established group of buyers that all the galleries are focusing on now and i think it would be interesting to see how can we open up this new potential group of art buyers a more diverse group of art buyers and i think the only way is that they feel represented in what the galleries offer and what the galleries are so this is something that i yeah would like to open the discussion with the advisors that we attract but also with the field itself with the galleries themselves and do you find people are open to that that suggestion that question? i'm just starting i'm actually this is maybe the first time that i kind of bring this question out into the open this is something that i'm really just at the beginning of starting so i would be curious to know how you think about this i'm i'm too new in amsterdam to have an opinion about anything <laughs> which is going to be my cop out for this conversation yeah, and also to, to tap into your conversation, one of the things I find very interesting about the museum world is actually the current debate uh, about a new definition of the museum. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do you see any parallels perhaps in that matter also for the gallery world? Yeah. Are there any conversations going on at the moment in regards to what should be or what could be a gallery? And I think also if you open up that conversation, um, it would really help to invite a new audience. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would be so curious to see how this develops in the coming years and to see if, if Amsterdam Art can play a role in, in, in this debate. This reminds me of, of Avant Arte, which is probably the biggest Dutch contemporary art success story that isn't being told or isn't being told certainly in, in certain circles. There are two young Dutch guys in their 20s selling editions on Instagram. Have you heard of them? And they have like a million more or three million followers on Instagram. Yeah, I haven't met them yet. And You have to meet them. They are talking about like people who are reimagining what an art buying audience can look like. They are magnificent. Okay. Could you name one or, or two or, or any artists living and working in Amsterdam that people might not know because they're not well known outside the city. Maybe they're younger or, or have a particular kind of history that you think our listeners should really look up before visiting Amsterdam. This is, of course, one of the most difficult questions to pick one artist from this kind of all these people that I want to mention. And luckily you gave me time to think about this. So I... I thought, so who am I going to mention? And then it suddenly hit me that 
one of the artists that I know the longest, I know her when she was still at art school and it was one of the, my first exhibitions that I curated in Amsterdam at the Stedelijk Museum Bureau Amsterdam, which was like the project space of the Stedelijk, which doesn't exist anymore. And her name is Natalie Bruis. She is an, a sound artist. She's interested in sound in, in every way, kind of creating sounds, making sounds, drawing sounds, and trying to visualize sound. So she kind of approaches sound from all different angles. And she has a career that has kind of big ups and downs. So she's maybe not visible and not a lot of people know her. She's been away for a couple of years. And I recently kind of did another visit at her studio. She has a studio on a boat in Eymuiden, which is uh, on the coast, kind of like half an hour from Amsterdam. And in this boat, she built her own sound studio. So she's also recording albums there and creating sound installations. But she also started to make drawings again, drawings of sound, of frequencies, and how frequencies also affect our well-being. And I was so kind of amazed by by these drawings, kind of watercolors. There's all this creativity that she um, managed to put on paper with all kind of very simple means. So, yeah, Natalie Bruis would be my pick. Will she be represented during the Amsterdam Art Week? Can we visit one of her? No, I'm, I'm afraid not. She's not represented by a gallery. And now that you mention it, maybe I should ask her to uh, open up her beautiful studio in Eymuiden for people to visit. I, I've certainly gotten curious just seeing the, the sort of passion on your face when you speak about her. Yeah. So I would sign up for, for the yeah. visit if it's on the program, for oh, sure. Oh, definitely. I'll definitely drive up there. Yeah. So are there perhaps also some, some other lesser-known art spaces um, that people really should know about and absolutely not miss when they visit Amsterdam? Of course I want them to visit all the kind of uh, galleries and institutions that are affiliated to Amsterdam art because they kind of represent the kind of the finest uh, of what Amsterdam has to offer. So from these institutions it's really difficult for me to kind of just pick out and mention one. But perhaps, is there an underground art scene? Is there an underground art scene? That's a very interesting question. I'm sure there is, but maybe it's kind of really, really underground now because everything is is True. closed. And I think these underground, they always start from the art academies like the Rietveld Academy and the Sandberg Institute, which are not connected to Amsterdam art yet. But this is something that is maybe interesting to open up for the future as well. This is really where kind of the, the underground seeds start to grow. But yeah, some kind of newer places that people m might not know is Project Space on the Inside in Nord, which is a new addition to the field. Another space that people might not know is Lawyersgracht 60, which is a beautiful space, beautiful architecture. They're not a gallery. They are... Well, I'm not sure if project space is the right word, but they host exhibitions that are always kind of connecting architecture, 
visual arts. Um, they sometimes have these book fairs as well. They have a very specific program, but it's especially the architecture of the space that is really beautiful. I have another question for you, because yeah. um, in your earlier years, more as I would say, as a young professional in the arts, somebody described you as a very rebellious uh, young professional, as in a way that you went with uh, some cameras towards the, the Venice Biennale. Can you elaborate a little bit on it? And perhaps the, the question would then be, is there still a rebel inside of you nowadays? I think my kind of rebellious reputation was set when I um, was when I did the curatorial program of the Apple. I was part of the second year, the second generation of the of the students, and in my year was also Adam Shimshits, who is now curator at large at the Stedelijk Museum. He will also be part of a discussion and a debate that we will have at the Stedelijk Museum during the Amsterdam Art Week. I'm kind of maybe going off topic, but I would love to talk about this because I look so much forward to I seeing Adam again. You are panel. on the panel as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have reminded me today. <laughs> and so I know Adam from 25 years ago and it would. I'm so curious to hear how he looks back at his time in Amsterdam and how he saw the city and or how we both experienced the city and where we are now and and what the opportunities for the future are but to go back to the to the the apple and the curatorial year that i was part of also annie fletcher was in my year so we ha we had an amazing amazing group of people clive kellner from south africa and our exhibition was notorious because it was called crapshoot it's a roll of the dice and you don't know what the outcome is but it was actually all about kind of transgressing borders about institutional critique but on the next level kind of really testing the alibis and the boundaries of art so we invited Kendall Gears who's now a major artist uh, he threw a brick through the windows of the apple He kind of smashed the office of the director of the Apple. He hired a private detective to follow the director of the Stedelijk Museum. We had Maurizio Catalan in the exhibition and he, his project would be an appropriation artwork. So he said, I want to appropriate the, the exhibition or the gallery, uh, the hippest gallery of Amsterdam, which was the Bloom Gallery which was then a joint gallery of Annette Geeling and Bianca Stichter. They were kind of the hottest, youngest gallery in Amsterdam. And he said, I want to take everything that is in their gallery and exhibit it at the Apple. So he had us young curators break into the gallery, take everything that was there, not just the exhibition, but also their fax machine, their phones, their archives. And so we took everything and installed it in the Apple, in boxes. And when you say break in, like actually break in? Yes. At uh, 6 a.m. in the morning. Never been caught. Yes, we were caught. The exact same day, we, got a, we received a phone call from uh, the Bloom Gallery, like, did you perhaps steal our show? <laughs> <laughs> because they heard that Maurizio Catalan was in town, so they put kind of one and one together. 
Then they said, you have to come to the gallery. The police was there and the police said, we will arrest you and we will put you in jail unless you take everything back to the gallery within one hour. So we kind of uh, sat together with Maurizio, like, okay, what's, what is the point that you want to make? What is, should we stick to this or should we return it? And he said, it's, it's not about the materials, it's about the act, so we can return everything. So we did. Where <laughs> so are we the broke pictures? Into, Where are the there pictures? are some pictures, not some pictures. And so we returned everything. And then the following day was the opening of the exhibition, the crapshoot exhibition, which of course caused a raw, like it was really controversial. We had a press kind of opening. And I remember one of the art critics, one of the most important art critics kind of standing up and really shouting at us and pointing fingers at us that we were kind of the worst curators ever. And, and then, my international co-curators, they all kind of flew back to their countries and I was left here in Amsterdam with this reputation of being a very rebellious curator. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to what's next from her to come. <laughs> I know, not that I've given you Amsterdam art. Did the people who hired you for this job know about this history? No, no, they should. Because I, I still think this is, it's an amazing, project that we did and um, I'm still very proud of it yeah wow I, th I think we need to restage crapshoot at some point at an institution somewhere in Amsterdam I think it'd be amazing try and get the work that was available at the time the documentation yeah no but then it would be a representation of transgression instead of the transgression itself and that is why we decided to um, uh, to really do Maurizio's project because we wanted it to go beyond the representation of rebelliousness and terrorism and, and, and just really, yeah, really cross that border and see what would happen. Because the idea was, yeah, we say that it's an artwork and do people buy into this? Does, will the police accept this? Like, yeah, no, it's an art project. It's not a real robbery. It's for an but it was 20 years before the banana at Art Basel, when people are still having the same debate about Mauricio yes. Catalan's work. Yes. Is this an artwork? Is this a prank? Yeah, exactly. Wow. I did not know this story. Had you heard this before? No. I'm full of these wonderful histories and stories. And <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do a second interview yes. with you, where we don't we... talk about Amsterdam art at all. We'll just, just talk Nina about and her rebellious history. I'm very excited because you're, you already mentioned you're not afraid of any form of experiment. So I'm very curious what kind of experience will be expected as well. Who should we absolutely interview for our next season? I would suggest that you ask uh, Jacqueline Grandjean. She's the director of the Oude Kerk, and I think she is a rebellious curator, and she's very courageous. And I think her program at the Oude Kerk is really top-notch. She has the whole idea of slow curating, giving the artist really the time and the space to dive into the history of the, of the Oude Kerk, the oldest church of Amsterdam, into the area where the church is located, to the architecture, and every year they come up with this kind of amazing exhibitions, really uh, high quality. And yeah, I admire her as a curator and director. And I think that she has lots of interesting things to say about Amsterdam. And can we use your name when we invite her? Of course. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
One of the things we ask all our guests is to take us to their favorite place in the city. You told us yours is the Oyster Park. So Nina, what do you think? Shall we take our listeners for a walk in the park then? Yes. So you couldn't have picked a better day to meet in the Oyster Park, Eastern Park. There are people doing Tai Chi, yoga just setting the scene. There's ducks running around, people on inline skates or skilers. This is one of your favorite It is. Parts I of cycle through this park every morning around 8.30 and I, then I cycle back at the end of the day and sometimes I come here later in the evening and there's always this fantastic kind of flow of different groups, different people. They're all doing different kinds of sports like Tai Chi and rollerblades and skating and yoga and kickboxing. I love this energy in the park. And sometimes yeah. you're one of the participants? No. Well, my son every, wants me to kind of step on his skate, skateboard, but I think it's too dangerous for me. <laughs> if I fall, I will break something. It's really a mixture of different backgrounds, ages, social status, and, but it's all kind of flowing. It's really, that's what I really like. It's not like there's different corners for different people, but it's really all mixed together. And, and it really feels local. I mean, that might be it particularly is, now, yes, but it's, yeah. it's very different to the Fondo Park where there's just masses of yeah. people from out of town. I have to say, kind of my favorite times to visit the park is like early morning or early evening. But like at the end of the day, like five or six, the middle of the park is kind of really kind of packed with students and drinking beer. So that's not my favorite spot. So the Oosterpark is situated in the east of uh, Amsterdam. And actually I read it was even first created by Amsterdam, even before Park was created. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, it's one, okay. of, the it's the oldest, first, one of the oldest parks. One of the oldest parks actually here in okay. Amsterdam. Yeah. yeah. There's a pillar that says 1838 on it. I don't know what. Okay, I don't know when the Vondelpark was created. What it's celebrating? Created, but oh, that might be actually be yeah. the, the founding pillar. Our timing is completely impeccable. We can go this way, maybe. One of the places actually where we celebrate many festivals as well, like one of the the Kittikotis, uh, Yes, specifically the Katikoti. That's where we're we're kind of walking towards now. The um, the monument, the, the monument for the end of slavery which is the 1st of July. So there's the official monument is placed in this park. So we can, yeah. Not very long ago, right? It was, it was in 2002, I just yeah. looked it up. <laughs> and I read that it was the, the, the queen, Beatrix, she uh, did the official opening. But what they did is they placed these kind of wooden boards around the whole ceremony, around the, the group of people. And the, like the Surinamese and the uh, kind of uh, inhabitants of Amsterdam were kind of locked out. So they were really upset that they could only see the monument after the ceremony. Biting my tongue here. Yeah, one of my aunts, she was very angry about it. Ah, yeah. okay. So what do you think yeah. about the fact that there is actually a slavery uh, museum coming to Amsterdam? It's about time, yeah. I think. They, it was promised like five years ago and they're still... Well, it, it's now it's decided that it will, be com will come here. Yeah, they're thinking yeah. about perhaps situating it nearby, uh, I would say, the, the Eye Museum or somewhere around the, the, the Eye. Ah, yeah, yeah. I think the first initial idea was to do it in Arnhem. Really? Yeah. And now there is the new exhibition, Slavery at the Rijksmuseum. 
um, which I, I noticed this week only runs until the end of August. So if you're listening, you have two months to... Yes, they worked on it for, I think, over three or four years to prepare this exhibition. And uh, I'm so happy that museums are open again. So I think this will be one of the first that I'm going to see maybe this weekend. Before Amsterdam Art Week. Yes, starts. before the circus Because we're, we're walking here a week before Amsterdam Art Week. Mm -hmm. And you look and feel incredibly relaxed and sort of centered. And are you ready? I think we're ready. Of course, there will be like a hundred loose ends. And I know that things will go wrong and we will just kind of stumble through these 10 days. But I'm just so happy that it's possible to just organize this. And I'm so proud of the program that we have. We have, I think, so many wonderful events. The only thing that's a shame is that we're not allowed to have kind of big groups of people and have festive openings. So it will be kind of really exclusive for invited guests mm. only. But just to be able to show all the richness of the institutions and the artists that we have in Amsterdam is very exciting. So what will be the highlights of this week? Well, I think for me personally, but also kind of according to all the response that we got and the uh, people that want to attend, is that we have a special evening with Steve McQueen. Oh, that's nice. Yes, he made this uh, wonderful collection of five films for the BBC. And we managed to screen all five of them at the iFilm Film Museum. And that's amazing. On Saturday, that's like the dream event. For it is. And, wow. and Steve wow. is also coming to Amsterdam to have a conversation with Guillaume Schmidt, who's the co-founder of Potter. And the moderator will be, hopefully, Mitchell Asayas from the Black Archives, which is a very important group of curators and researchers. He's on our list for perhaps the season two of our, ah, our podcast. Yes. Looking forward so, to... So, yeah, uh, they, they are, I think, essential in kind of digging up the, these histories or hidden histories and archives of the, the black history and colonial history of the Netherlands. So here we are at the monument. Walking past the slavery monument. So what do we see now? Who's actually the artist? Erwin de Vries. So what we see, we see like this kind of big figure bending forwards with its arms spread, like really moving towards space and freedom. That's how I feel it. And behind him, there's first this kind of winged figure. And behind them, there's a group of smaller figures. It's all in, I think it's in bronze. So the smaller group of people is tied to each other with their arms or change. It's not really, and yeah, I think they're chains. And there's a man standing behind it doing exercise. <laughs> yeah, kind of performative together. piece. And, and there are flowers on the monument as the people come here and... Yeah. Yeah, the 1st of July, which is in less than a month. Then they celebrate Katy Kotti, the uh, end of slavery. Do you think the narrative has changed in regards to our colonial history? It is changing, yes, definitely. I think we're on a kind of a crucial point now. I think the Black Lives Matter movement really gave it a kind of a force that it's now finally opening up. I mean, if, 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 if I can be a little bit cynical, I do like That's how your it's, role. this is a very <laughs> symbolic monument. The role of the people who enslaved others is completely absent. It's kind of 
surrealistic, there's wings, there's as if it like slavery and freedom happened by magic. Doesn't really make any mention of the role of the Dutch state or the commerce that built this city. It's a supernatural historical occurrence. Yes, but you could also say that perhaps it's more trying to tell the story of the people themselves, the slaves, the, the enslaved people and their kind of their situation and their liberation and that it doesn't pay attention to the slave keepers, but it's their story. Are there any uh, books um, at the moment you're reading, perhaps in regards to the, to the art scene? I always have this kind of stack of books. I love buying books. I love going to bookstores and then I buy these books and I have this whole stack and then I, I find it difficult to finish a book at this moment because I'm so busy so and my energy and thoughts and concentration is going all over the place. But I am reading now this kind of essay little book by Ramsey Nasser. The Fundamenten, The Foundations, which is his reflection on the situation that we're in now, the COVID situation, but it's actually also a reflection on politics and the political system in the Netherlands. And we have a government which is the kind of... I don't think that the word liberal is the right word because liberal means something else. Classically liberal. It's classically liberal. It's the kind of the free market thoughts and... He's making a plea for what he calls, regarded as the ornaments of society, which are actually the fundamentals, the foundations, which are taking care of each other and the arts and education. And the government has cut the budgets for all these sectors in the, in the past years. So this whole idea of the free market has taken over also politics and our way of thinking and, and looking at everything so he's kind of deconstructing this and making a plea for what is really important also yeah, in regards to the future and ecology the environment the way we cohabit this earth it's a beautiful book it's what does the art mean to you what does the art mean to yeah. me and well as i said my introduction to the arts world was that to me, it represents a world of spiritual richness and discovery and freedom. And it still does. It, it still makes me, I still learn a lot. I think this kind of eternal learning and developing and is what attracts me to the art, arts world. Because the arts are always moving and flexible. They're kind of incorporating film and video works, they're incorporating dance and performance, they're incorporating politics, they're incorporating... It's, it's kind of expanding and moving and taking in everything. And that is what I... why it never bores me, the contemporary art scene. So where do you, yeah. do you get your inspiration from? In your curatorial work or perhaps now as a director? From the artist, kind of certain artists that I have a long history with that I keep seeing, new artists that I get acquainted with, have conversations with, and curators. Some other curators that are really examples how they kind of reinvent exhibitions, like Okwi and Wesor that we spoke about, and 
Now also I'm really curious about the Sonsbeek exhibition that is coming up with uh, Bonaventura. So yeah, this is where I, I get my inspiration from. Is there an Amsterdam-based curator we should definitely interview for our next episode or next uh, season? Oh, again, there are so many. And because we are now also wanting to curate more and more exhibitions ourselves, so I had a, a talk with several of the alumni curators of the Apple, like Fatwa Namna. She was one of the curators also of the Gemeentelijke Aankopen exhibition at the Stedelijk Museum, the Municipal Acquisitions Collections. And they made this really amazing exhibition. So she's a a young talent. And then we're also working with Odd Crystal Mukba, and she's one of the curators of the Sonsbeek edition. I, I just got to know her like in the past two weeks, so we're still getting to know each other. There's Maike Gauwenberg, who I know for a longer period of time. I think she's very interesting because she's also always making these crossovers to film and performance. And she will be curating the Dutch Pavilion at the Venice Biennial in two years' time with Melanie Bonayo. Yeah, there's, there's so many talented curators here. Yeah, Amsterdam is really a city of cultivated ground for talent. Yeah. If I can throw a bit of a curveball, and I'm, I'm very aware that there's this sort of sexist cliche that when people interview a woman, they comment on the way she dresses. However, Nina, you're probably one of the best dressed people in the Amsterdam art world. <laughs> um, and and I've, I've seen this for some time. Since some of the people listening might also be into fashion, are there any particular stores or designers people shouldn't miss when they're visiting Amsterdam? Well, I had my kind of favorite designer who I got to know through mutual friends. And his name is Matthijs van Bergen. And he is also kind of moving into the arts world. Well, his works are collected now by the Centraal Museum. And I remember for one important event that I had, I thought I should wear something really special and nice, not only to make me feel more kind of steady and secure, but also because it is a representation of the talent that is that is here. So I asked him if I could borrow one of his dresses. He made a beautiful collection about for the Van Gogh Museum. So it was a dress with a print of one of Van Gogh's sunflowers. So I could I could borrow this dress and since then I'm kind of buying pieces from his collection actually from the uh, sample sale collection because my budget is not <laughs> he he kind of sells his pieces to the queen Maxima so my budget is not comparable so he is one of my favorite uh, designers and otherwise yeah I don't have like one particular store I kind of browse and I yeah Sometimes it's a bit of vintage and sometimes it's just like the Zara and sometimes it's something that I find in a local store around the corner. It's kind of a mix and match of uh, things. But thank you for the compliment. (laughs) Over the years, Amsterdam has seen a number of attempts to set up a proper international art fair and with the exception maybe of unseen and that remains to be seen, pun intended. One can say that it hasn't really worked. How do you see the relationship between fairs on the one hand and gallery weekends like Berlin or an art week like like you're organizing in Amsterdam? 
I think it would be a very unwise decision to start an art fair in Amsterdam right now. I think we have two. They're not very successful. We have a wonderful fair in Rotterdam, Art Rotterdam, which I think does an amazing job. And it's also kind of expanding more into almost like a festival sphere, which is like un uh, like unseen. But I think the future is for the kind of the gallery weekends or I would kind of by extension the Amsterdam art, which is more than just the gallery weekend, because we include the residencies, the Rijksakademie, the museums, the project spaces, so and the whole of the city kind of really dive into the the quality of what Amsterdam has to offer. And that is a such a nice way, I think, to combine the experience of the city and without the pressure of a fair and also my experience as a curator visiting art fairs I was always a bit annoyed because the presentations were kind of squeezed into these small white cubes and I prefer to have kind of curated presentations and this is what is possible during the Amsterdam Art Week you see kind of the best presentations within their kind of really curated visions instead of these so-called neutral white cubes at an art fair. So you talk very beautifully about how new gallery models need to be developed, how new ways of, of, of exhibiting and, and collecting art should come into being. Are there any spaces in Amsterdam you're particularly excited about that are rethinking this gallery model? There are several, but one of them that I really like that I discovered just recently is a place called Multiple Made, and she presents multiples, but she has such a wonderful way of connecting artists together. Like the first show that I saw there was Paul Koiker, who's like a, a renovated photographer, very much connected to the surrealist tradition. And she combined him or she invited him to collaborate with Jan Hoek, an Amsterdam artist who's very interested in kind of the rough edges and outsider art. And they made this beautiful project together with potatoes. But it's more than just her talent to really pick up interesting artists, but also her personality and the way that she welcomes you in the gallery. There's a sense of energy and enthusiasm that is uh, really marvelous. So I would definitely go there. And her gallery is located next to one of the best design shops in Amsterdam. It's called the Frozen Fountain. And on the second floor, she also has an, a kind of an additional gallery space. So if she sometimes she expands her small gallery space with presentations on the second floor of this design store. And you can visit both in one go, so that's... Yes, they're next door. You say door. she sells multiples, so does it also mean it's maybe a little bit more affordable? It is definitely is more affordable, yes. yeah. What's going to be the title of your autobiography? <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know. I used to have this kind of pin button which said I don't know and I loved wearing this because it kind of gave me the space to kind of 
retreat and think instead of having all these answers all the time and responding just having creating this space by saying i don't know opening up and not knowing and from there so maybe i don't know what a beautiful answer You've got a couple of incredibly hectic weeks away at the time of recording. We're, what, six weeks away from, from your event or maybe maybe two months. What are you going to do once it's all over? It's a wrap. Amsterdam Art Week 2021 has been amazing. People are still dreaming about it, talking about it, excited that something happened in the city. Where is Nina Volkersma the week after? Amsterdam Art Week 2021. I think the first week I will be sending out thank you, thank you, thank you mails to everybody. And then I will go on a holiday to Italy. And I will take my son to Venice for the very first time. I thought this is like the ideal moment to go to Venice because all the Chinese and all the Americans will not be there. And I think you have to see Venice. I go there every two years, of course, but I've never been there on a holiday. So I thought this is the perfect moment to um, to enjoy the Italian sun and food and city and just kind of lie on the beach at the Lido with my son. So that is where I will be zooming out. And I think we've got our conclusion to this episode. Thank you very much, Nina Folkesma. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to our podcast. We thank the Jazz Orchestra of the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam for our podcast tune, Blues for the Date, by Peter Bates. Please check out the rest of their amazing album, Blues for the Date, on Spotify. Art City Amsterdam is produced by Studio Balsam and Stevenson. We are your hosts, Joost Bosland and Rubia Balsam. See you in Amsterdam. Amsterdam.